Hello everyone, um, to all of our listeners across the globe, welcome to LRQA's Future in Focus podcast. My name is Holly Wilde, I am the Global External Communications Manager for LRQA, and it is my pleasure to host this podcast today for you all, in which we have some big news. And to help deliver that big news, I'm joined by my colleague, Ben Weston. Ben, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks Holly, great to be with you. Thank you. Um, now, could you introduce yourself briefly to our listeners for those who may not have heard you before? Yeah, I'm the Head of Sustainability at LRQA, and actually my job is what we're going to be talking about today, or, or rather the part I'm responsible for delivering. Uh, but essentially, I, I look after ensuring that in our own actions as a company that we make decisions and take actions which are always founded on being a sustainable company. Mm, nice little hint there. Um, now, without giving too much away, Ben, myself and the whole of LRQA are really excited to share our news today. For a bit of context, our announcement is on the topic of sustainability or environmental, social and governance, also known as ESG. As a company, we at LRQA dedicate ourselves to helping clients achieve transparency and transforming their sustainability commitments into robust, measurable outcomes. So with that in mind, we also want to hold ourselves accountable to the highest ESG standards. So let's not wait a second more. Ben, I'm going to ask you to share our news with our listeners today, if that's okay. And then I'm going to be asking um, a few follow-on questions about your own personal experiences within ESG. So over to you. Thanks, Holly. Uh, so the, the announcement is the launch of Our Planet, Our Plan, uh, which began uh, last year. And what Our Planet, Our Plan is, it's our seven-year sustainability commitments. So when LRQA was created as, as a new business, uh, we really wanted to ensure that when people look to us as a company, whether it's our clients or our, our employees or our suppliers or our communities, that they would see a company that is really committed to integrity, which is doing the right thing, not the easy thing. So in any action we take, are we ensuring that we're making a decision which is the best and most sustainable decision for society and, and indeed for the planet? And so over the past year or so, we came together, all of our colleagues, everybody had the opportunity to contribute towards this. And the outcome was our plan, our plan. Uh, the name was created by a colleague called Max Fisher, who's a, a great creative mind and, and a passionate soul about the topic of sustainability. And what it outlines is what we're committed to doing over the next seven years. And, and, and the seven's an important number uh, because that takes us from 2023 to 2030. And that aligns to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so everything that's in this in this plan, which we're, we're going to talk about today, is related to which of those UN Sustainable Development Goals that we contribute towards. And the other reason the number seven is significant is that there's a, a wonderful ancient tale of the seventh generation principle, which is my favourite definition of sustainability. And I first heard it from an environmentalist called Tim McCarthy. And that principle is that every decision you take has a net positive impact for the next seven generations and beyond. Or... The other way to look at it, it doesn't have a negative impact for the next seven generations beyond, which if you think about it, it's quite audacious. If it, all decisions you make every day, is that going to positively affect the next seven generations? If it doesn't, then why, why would we be doing it or can we not do it? And so it's for the next seven years, for the next seven generations, uh, and conveniently it just happened that we have seven commitments that, is, that, that makes up our planet, our plan. Uh, so it's great to be sharing it with you today. 
Thank you so much, Ben. It really is an exciting development for MRQA. Um, now, to bring it to life even more, I'd like to ask you a few more questions about our Planet Art Plan, as well as your own experiences developing the plan, as well as in the world of ESG more generally. So let's get started. Um, before recording today, I asked you to think of a bit of an introductory story or a personal anecdote on the theme of today's podcast. So could I ask you to kindly share it with our listeners? Absolutely. It, it really began for me that when I was when I was growing up, I was always interested in enterprises. And I was also very lucky to have a granddad, Harry Hanks, who was a man really dedicated to his community. And I remember when I was beginning my career, about to be my career, I didn't know whether to go into the humanitarian sector or the corporate sector. And I was advised, like, you know, business really kind of runs the world, get to know that first and really understand the principles of how great organisations work. And so I was very lucky to join a really great graduate program uh, for a huge global business, fantastic experience. And I was so impressed by just how businesses of that scale operated. And what you see is well-intentioned, hardworking, kind of tenacious people trying to do the right thing to bring a great product or service to the market that's been deemed necessary by you know, the general population of the world, right? And I would say on the whole that almost all businesses are, are doing their earnest to have a positive impact on, on the world. But I also saw that there, there seemed to sometimes be a, a gap between what companies projected that as their image or their values or their beliefs or their vision and then what would actually happen. And I became quite interested in the idea of corporate social responsibility, which is almost now been superseded by environmental social governance. But those two things are sort of synonymous with one, with one another. But then another kind of cornerstone moment was I then got heavily involved with the humanitarian sector as part of building a, a non-profit organization in the space of international volunteering. And the reason we began that non-profit was because in that sector, there was a bunch of unethics and controversial ways of, of operating in the world. And so it wasn't like there's business over here, which is evil and it's doing bad things and the humanitarian sector is squeaky clean. Actually, that, that problem of the difference between what you project and portray and what actually happens was almost true in both sectors although there's nuances to it and i just became very interested in like why is this the case why do we say one thing but do another and that began in 2008 and so over the past whatever that is 15 years i just became totally fascinated by how is it that we can ensure that companies are not only doing the right thing and not the easy thing but they're also transparent in the work that they do and the impact it has, including when they fail. And it's not to be shamed by failing or doing difficult things because the world is complex. So it's not about perfection, but it's about sort of progression. Thanks so much for that story, Ben. Um, can you tell us how that experience inspired our Planet Our Plan? Yeah, absolutely. I, I said I, I became fascinated with the, the gap between what companies say they do and what they actually do. And as, as I started to explore or how on earth do you do that? It was companies like LRQA that I came across, which was, all right, there's this whole industry of organizations which help businesses to not just mitigate that type of risk, but that they help them to actually discern what is the right thing and how can they have the right impact? And then how do you navigate all those complicated issues such as, well, if we're having this environmental impact, how do you first understand that? And then how do you present that to the world? And the reason that I joined LRQA is because you know, in our services and what we do as a company is you know, every day our great colleagues go out and they're helping organisations 
to understand their impact on the world and how they can improve that impact, you know, whether that's environmental with, with human rights. And so with our plan out of plan, given what we do as a company, it's fundamentally important that we walk the talk. And so our plan out of plan is, is our commitment as a company to say, this is the impact that we have on the world. This is where we think we can have an even better impact on the world. And therefore, here's this transparent into our window of the things that we're committed to, to making sure that we're a company that does the right thing, not the easy thing. And that includes showing where we're full short. Like, no business is perfect. You know, and I always think there's an analogy between a business and a person. If you ask any person on the street, okay, what's your net positive contribution to the world? There's things that all of us individuals do really well. Like, you know, we might be kind, we might be generous, you know, we might be hardworking. There's also other things that we don't do well as human beings, like, you know, we, you know, whatever it might be. And the same is true of a company, is that you look at any company on the planet, whether it's the biggest or the smallest, and there is almost always positive things that they're doing, but there's always areas that you could improve. And so it's not about perfection, it's about progression. And it's about, in our plan, our plan is ultimately our, our promise to be a company that is committed to doing the sustainable and right thing. I love that. Thanks, Ben. Um, if we look beyond LRQA for just a second, ESG has become a mainstream topic or a mainstream issue. Um, and as such, I think it's fair to say it's received a lot of criticism as well. So regardless of political orientation, what do you make of that criticism? Well, I think that the aphorism I always come back to is that 30% of people always disagree with everything, right? So no matter what it is, like whatever political issue or topic, let's, let's say education, and so you've got position education, you always get people to disagree with it. And so I think it's no matter what the thing is, there'll always be people that are, that are against it. But I think with ESG, the, the criticism it gets, I think, is in some ways understandable because how people see it is this measuring stick that will lead to heavy regulation or moral expectations that will slow businesses down. And, and perhaps you know, the, the apex of that is, is net zero. So there are people that do not believe that net zero is the right strategy, even if they believe that climate change is real. And so if you just take that one segment, as in net zero, there are so many different ways you can look at the best way to do it. Like, should it should the target of net zero be 2050, 2030, something in between? Should it be a, a, a thing at all? And so th the criticism comes that there are people that believe that this is just going to slow things down, make us less productive, will be used for... Uh, creating more taxes upon businesses. So I think the criticism has to be listened to. And there will be some truth in a lot of that criticism and there'll be things about it that are that aren't right. Uh, but ultimately there's always the there'll always be that that happy middle ground or or ground somewhere on on that spectrum of disagreement to agreement, uh, which will be the right place to be. Yeah, thank you. I think it's really important to provide a, a full picture from all angles for our, for our listeners. So thank you for doing that, Ben. Um, now I'd like to start sharing some practical guidance for our listeners, if, if that's OK. Um, could you tell me where an organisation should start or where they should begin if they want to start embracing ESG? Yeah, absolutely. It, it begins with what we would call a material analysis. And what that really is, is a discovery a spectrum, if you like, of understanding the impact your business currently has you know, on the world and, and, and in societies where it works. And what you're trying to discern in that process is where are we doing really well? Like where's, where are the areas that we're having a positive impact? And then where are the areas whereby we're having a net negative impact or at least we could improve? 
So, for example, if, if you are a, a food manufacturer, the chances are that your material analysis is going to focus on the environmental and the conditions of your factories, the conditions of the people who work in that factory. Whereas if you're a professional service business that produces nothing, you've just got people out on the road, your impact's going to be in a, in, a, in a different area of your business. So having a thorough scrupulous analysis of what is your impact to the business. And in order to do that, though, you need to have a framework to work from. And, and there's many great frameworks out there. For example, our plan, our plan is divided into seven different areas. There, we, we discern there are seven different areas where we can have a major impact, positive impact or otherwise, uh, through what we do. And I would say a, a core part of this as well is involving your people. And so if you think about the impact you're having as a business or where you could improve or what you're doing well, it's going to be your people that know, like your colleagues. And so involving them, so what we did at LRQA is we ran a series of design sprints, 20 design sprints in total, where people came, or everybody in our business were invited to come along to give their perspectives on different areas of our business. And we had an employee survey, which you know, over a third of our colleagues contributed towards, where they also had the opportunity to contribute their ideas. And then I would say as part of that as well is that bringing in experts, outside experts, can be fundamental to making sure this sort of stage is a success. Most companies aren't experts in ESG, uh, and there are companies out there that, that really are, and they're there to be your trusted advisor. And of course, there's a whole spectrum of work they can do from very small to owning that entire process. Uh, but it's, it's doing the hard work, doing the discovery, digging deep, bringing the right experts, involving your people, and then as an outcome of that, uh, you'll be in a position to really understand where your business can make the biggest difference. So how does that compare to LRQA's journey? Can you summarise our approach to developing our planet, our plan? Yeah, I mean, it's been a real privilege to be, be part of the whole process because what you tend to find is when you announce the organisation of a, a vision that we want to be in seven years' time and sooner, if we can, a business which when anyone looks at that organization that they see an organization that has sustainability ethics responsibility care at the heart of everything that they do and we kind of put a, a few sort of different ideas at the front of that for example what if we've become the high scoring b corporation for a company of our size in another industry and if people aren't aware what the b corporation process is like 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 anything it's not it's not the complete picture but the B corporations are those that have passed through a verification and auditing process which proves their sustainability credentials. And to achieve the top score, you know, for example, Patagonia, the second highest scoring company, uh, Sunrise Banks are the first, if I have that right. When you look at everything they do from top to bottom of their business, is that it's a company committed to doing the right thing. And so our process was to announce, look, we want to create a sustainability plan that ensures that you know, we really stand out as a company that is committed to ethics, responsibility and sustainability. And then we began that material analysis. So we looked at, okay, where in our business can we have the biggest impact? We involved our people, we ran those design sprints on different topics. We made sure that it was global. I think it's very easy to be headquarters centric uh, or, or first language centric. So we, we gave everybody the opportunity. As part of that, what we did was we created different leadership teams. So in the first phase, we worked out there was going to be these seven different areas we we're going to focus on. So we then create the leadership team for each of those seven areas. Again, we invited, if you care about governance or if you care about environment or equity, join this leadership team and they become our team of advisors that then went to the next level of detail to say, okay, where could we focus? And you know, we're, we're lucky at LRQA that 
we're ESG experts. So we, it's not to say we didn't look outside because we already did. We looked at what other companies are doing. So looking at other benchmarks, but we had those experts in environment, in governance, in safety, that then outlined, and this is the really important bit, what are the key performance indicators that we're going to work towards? So if you look at our seven commitments, they'll look very similar to a lot of organizations. And then underpinning those seven commitments is the sort of headline ambitions. And then underpinning those are the key performance indicators. And to put it in context, we have 380, which might sound ludicrous. But when you look at how do you get to net zero, so our third commitment is environment, there's easily 70 things you have to do, like look at your water, look at your wastage, et cetera, et cetera. So once you've then got those key performance indicators, the, the final phase is then to try and make them objective. Now, it's not always possible to have things that are truly objective, but ultimately, a sustainability strategy and the ESG management system that underpins that, it has to be about delivering measurable objective results that are time bound. And so what we've got is these key performance indicators that show people objectively, these are the things that we're going to do or try to do. This is a date we're hoping to deliver them by. And therefore, you've got a measure of success. Thanks for uh, outlining those key steps there. You mentioned global engagement as well. That inclusivity is so important, I think, and makes an initiative like Our Planet, Our Plan so much stronger. Um, Now, come on, let's share a little bit of the good, the bad and the ugly here. Were there any major challenges along the way, Ben? Yeah, there, there always are. The first is no matter where you end up, there'll be people that disagree with it. So to give an example, when we were asking questions on inclusivity there was some feedback from in the survey of this is just fluffy nonsense and actually we talked earlier about why does ESG get criticism and if you take DEI diversity equity and inclusion you know that is that is an industry or a sector which has come under immense scrutiny and there's clearly been things in that space which haven't been done well and if for example we said well we're gonna have this metric let's say it's 50% of people will come from socially disadvantaged backgrounds that's a good example whereby you're, you're immediately into greenwashing risk territory, because what great ESG looks like is understanding, well, what, what's the point of achieving that? And what you suddenly get into is it becomes very philosophical. It becomes very political. And it becomes very much about people's opinions. And what you've then got is how on earth do you prioritize? This is the whole challenge of ESG, business results, delivering profits with doing the right thing. And like anything in society, you're essentially asking moralistic questions. So inclusivity is a great one. If you ask people, what does inclusivity mean? And how do you get good at it? And why should you do it? And you ask 100 people, you'll get probably at least 30 different themes of answers. And so the challenge was, how, how on earth do we include people in this process without becoming a, a, a trifle of ideas that ultimately gets you to no clear end result? I have to say that I didn't find this whole process and I don't think we do as a business to be that painful and but in the end you have to accept that at some point you've got to put pen to paper and and one of the chances of ESG is that when it's done really well it, it can be this feel like this big cumbersome thing and which is why one of the fundamental principles is is that you can make the complex simple and this, the way you make it simple is the fact that you divide it to different topics so we've got seven you then put a leadership team on each of those seven and you say to everybody else, like, they've got this and you've got to trust now that team are going to go and deliver it. And you get involved with the bits that you want to contribute towards. And so to finish off that point, there are some people in our organisation that really, really care about the environment. And they might not care so much about safety 
or equity. Now, I'm not saying I don't care at all, but their passion is environment. So will, will you focus on that? And we've all got a unique gift. We've all got a certain topic or topics we're passionate about. So part of the way you get through the pain is to say to people, you can have your say on it, but ultimately there comes a point whereby we're going to make a decision. This is what it's going to be. And you might disagree with it, but that's what we've collectively agreed with, which is why we'd recommend you make it as inclusive as possible, but also set clear boundaries about you know, the end point. Brilliant. Thanks, Ben. Finally, I have one last question for you. And I'd like to know what's next. Now our planet, our plan has been built and we're launching it today. What happens next? Yeah, great. Well, the simple answer is we have to deliver it. And that's the that's the uneasy part, but also the engaging part. I think the important thing to say about something like our planet, our plan is that it's hugely ambitious. And our hope would be that when someone reads those ambitions and reads what we're committed to, that you're getting a window into our business. And you're really reading what our culture is and the type of organisation that we are and the things that we care about. And it's also important to say that something like this isn't binary and stagnant. Like we've, we've listed down these commitments and the performance metrics that underpin them. And we've already hit a lot of them, as you would expect. There's many that we might fall short on. And there's many that we'll hopefully will surpass. But the important thing is, is that whatever we do, we're honest about where we're at and, and why we did deliver something or why we didn't. And then, so the next part is we need everybody in our business to participate. And the way that we've built our planet, our plan is that it's for everybody connected to the company. And so our, our colleagues will directly or indirectly contribute to the things we've committed to. And our job as a sustainability team and as you know, our, our executive committee is to ensure that we give our people the tools and the time and the permission to ensure that we deliver on these things. And, and that's going to take sacrifice. This won't be easy to commit to. Take net zero. If you want to hit net zero or some of our extra commitments, we're going to have to make decisions. We have to change things. We have to make investments. And, and we believe in the long term that will pay back. And it's also the connection with our suppliers and our clients and our communities. So, for example, if we're going to work with a supplier, we're not going to hit our net zero commitments if our suppliers are polluting the planet. Likewise, we're going to have to work with clients that want to work with LRQA because they see our commitments, um, but we also share those values. And so what happens now is that our plan, our plan is there to guide our decision making. And so when you see, right, we, we might make this investment or we might work with this supplier or this client or we might do this volunteering program, we have to ask ourselves, is it going to help us live our plan, our plan? And, and that's the beauty of something like this, which is it should make your decision making much easier. So the groundwork is difficult. It's complex and it takes time. But once you've got that, you've got this wonderful plan which gives you a roadmap for the next, well, seven years. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ben. As always, you're such a passionate speaker and you really have brought LRQA's news today and the broader topic of ESG. Um, you brought them to life today and, and I can't imagine how rewarding it must be to go from the inception of an idea through to, well, launch and delivery now. Um, I'm pleased to say that we've got seven more podcasts, one for each of the pillars within our Planet Our Plan, and they'll be launched one a week after today's announcement. And uh, we can't wait to introduce you all to more of LRQA's wonderful speakers like Ben. So thank you, Ben, and uh, thank you to our listeners once again. Thanks, Holly. It's been great to spend time with you. And finally, just a reminder to our listeners that you can learn more about Our Planet, Our Plan on the LRQA website and see our digital dashboard, which tracks our progress against all seven pillars at ourplanetourplan.lrqa.com. 
You've been listening to the LRQA Future in Focus podcast. Thanks so much for giving us your time and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.